Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and today we are going to discuss in the beginning. So, if you have a Bible, all you have to do is open it to Genesis chapter one, and we're going to talk about creation and in the beginning with Jeff Verdorn. Of course, you know him as a very regular on my show. He's also a Bible teacher, and he is a mentor of mine and a friend. So, I'm always glad to have him on the show. I always learn so much, and I'm excited to talk about in the beginning. I think this is going to be a four or five part series. So get ready. And uh, we're going to have a lot of a chance to learn uh, what the Bible teaches. And then I'm sure we'll get a a chance for Q&A as well. So that's the plan for the next four or five times with Jeff. And that is what I'm looking forward to. And it starts today. Jeff, welcome. Hi, Bill. Good afternoon. Thank you. So let's get into uh, the very, very beginning in the beginning. Well, there was a beginning. Yes, there was. Uh, that's actually one of the debates that we'll talk about over the next, uh, well, actually today uh, we'll get into it. But uh, whether or not there was a beginning is actually one of the uh, key components to, as we start our study of in the beginning. But um, I, I, for, I wanted to start with a story. So way back when I was being confirmed, so I was what, in junior high, what, 13, 14 years old, whatever mm-hmm. age you get confirmed. And my senior pastor of my church uh, led us through a study of Genesis 1 through 6. Uh, chapter 6 is basically the flood. So we studied creation, the, cre- the six days of creation, the fall of man in Genesis 3, all the way through to the flood in Genesis 6. When we were done with our confirmation class, he handed us all a Bible. Hmm. And our names were written in it, and he signed it, you know, senior pastor, his name. And as he was handing it out, he said something to us. He said, by the way, over the weeks that we've talked Genesis, you don't have to believe that what we've just studied is literal or historical. It can be figurative. And I'm 14 years old. And it's like, oh, okay, well, I I guess they're just stories. We kind of studied it. I kind of figured it was historical or an actual account of God creating everything. Uh, but he said it could be figurative. You don't have to take it literal. <laughs> and it wasn't until probably 15 years later that I'm studying the Bible for myself. And I always kind of remembered that comment in the back of my head. And I started reading about Adam in the New Testament. Well, did you know that Adam is listed in the genealogy of Jesus Christ? And if Adam is listed in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, how in the world could Adam, who's part of this creation account, be a myth, Mm. be just figurative, just be a story? And in fact, Adam is referenced multiple times in the New Testament. In fact, Jesus is called the second Adam. Adam, the first man, Adam, death came through Adam and sin came through Adam. Life comes through Jesus Christ, who's referred to as the second man or the second Adam. 
And he is always referenced in a literal, historical way. And so that's one of the first questions we're going to have to talk about in our study is how do we approach the language of Genesis? I love it. One of the second issues that we're going to have to tackle head on is this idea or this debate, I guess, within Christianity now of old earth versus young earth. Um, I have noticed over the last uh, however many years that the idea of a young earth has been growing and growing within evangelical Christianity especially, and in some ways has almost become kind of the, oh, I don't want to say orthodox view, but uh, but the view in which is is commonly taught within evangelical churches, let's put it that way. So we are going to have to tackle this idea of whether or not the universe— the rocks, the stars, the planets, the solar systems, and so on, are old or whether or not they are young. Now, if you have strong feelings one way or another, you're going to have to just hold on. Let me go through the text. Let me help identify what is required from the biblical text and what is not required by the biblical text. Um, And In the end, this is a matter of interpretation, and I think some tend to write the other groups off as heretics or something because they don't agree with you, and I just thought I would read, starting out, a a quote from a a website. It's called Got Questions. Some of your listeners might be familiar with it. They do actually a very good job answering questions about the Christian faith from from a biblical perspective. On this issue, they say this. Generally speaking, both old earth and young earth creationists believe in the inspiration, inerrancy, and authority of God's word. What differs between these approaches is one's view on the Bible that is, in fact, saying it's a matter of interpretation. So what is the Bible actually saying? Both groups agree that the Bible is is God's word, uh, that it's uh, authority. Uh, from God, it's inspired by God, and all the rest. We did a whole series on the Bible called Bible Bible, Mm -hmm. and uh, where we talked about all these issues of inspiration and its reliability and so on. So we have to decide early on in this study that Genesis is an historical account, not a mythical account, but even as an historical account, there is going to be differences of interpretation uh, amongst Christians. All right? So get that out of the way. Mm -hmm. One of the other things that uh, I like to mention when I start this class, I've actually taught this class now a couple semesters in a row here at a couple different churches. And, um, and I I love this class and I love the ideas that we are going to discuss over the next few weeks. But you also know that I'm a, I, I love teaching the end times, right? So the book of Revelation. So this is the beginning of the book. Well, you know, Two of the most uh, simple, you know, non-controversial parts of the Bible, right? The beginning and the end. And it's actually no. <laughs> There's probably not two more parts of the Bible that have more divergent of opinions and inter- different interpretations right. than the beginning and the end. So we need a lot of grace as we go through the interpretive con- controversies uh, in Genesis. Um, I also think some churches tend to avoid both of these areas, uh, both the beginning and the end. Uh, You know, the end is about God's judgment and his 
wrath, but really the beginning. Uh, controversial, differences of opinions. I don't think a lot of senior pastors want to get all those emails from all those people that think differently from them. And, you know, there's also the flood and some wrath in the beginning as well. So um, it, it's just we recognize up front that there is a wide variety of opinions when it comes to beginnings, just like there is when it comes to the end of all things. So, so what are some of the specific debates that we are going to look at? Um, the first one, like I mentioned, did the universe have a beginning? Now, I'm going to contrast generally science with Christianity here on this list of issues that I'm going to talk about. Science generally has said historically, no, there wasn't a beginning. Science generally, before Hubble came along in the telescope, and we'll, I'll mention him in a minute, before they discovered that there was actually a beginning, scientists thought that there was no beginning to the universe. The universe had always existed. It was eternal. This was called the steady state. And even Albert Einstein early on believed that the universe always existed. Well, one of the reasons why I believe that science believed the universe always existed was that therefore they didn't have a beginning and therefore they didn't need a creator. Oh, they didn't need an entity to begin the universe. So the universe always existed. If the universe is eternal, if space, time, and matter is eternal, you don't need an eternal God to create the universe. And like I said, we'll see in a minute, Hubble came along and said, oh, wait a minute, there was a beginning. And of course, Christianity, from the first sentence of the Bible, says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So Christianity declares there was a beginning. The next question is, okay, so if there was a beginning, where did it all come from? Now, it's fascinating that science has discovered and has modeled out what was the state of the universe within seconds after the beginning and how, is, how it has expanded throughout the universe and galaxies have formed and planets and stars have formed and solar systems have formed. They have a lot of information on how all this happened, right? But they cannot tell you, even today, what happened one second before creation. They do not have that answer. Mm. We, of course, as Christians, do have that answer. In the beginning, God created. So Christianity has a claim on that as well. The next question is this age question. Science says that the universe that they look at by observation appears to be around 14 billion years old. So the Big Bang occurred something like 14 billion years ago. All matter, space, time, and matter actually has stretched out since then. Galaxies have formed, our sun, our planet, our so on. Our planet was formed about four and a half billion years ago in our solar system, and that's generally the scientific timeline. Within Christianity, there's a group of Christians that believe, well, yeah, that sounds right. The Bible doesn't say anything against it, and the universe is 14 billion years old. Other Christians, generally known as young earth creationists, believe that everything came into existence about 6,000 years ago. So the Garden of Eden, the six days of creation, the sun, the moon, the stars, 
all the galaxies all came into existence about 6,000 years ago. So that's one of the core debates that we are going to look at is how old is the universe and, and, and as a result, how old uh, is the Earth as well. Mm. All right, Jeff, I think I need to stop and take a deep breath because I, I think I kind of <laughs> been taking a lot of little shallow breaths as you've been speaking because this is riveting. Jeff Redorn is my guest. We're going to continue our series on In the Beginning. When we come back, it's all next. My guest, he's a Bible teacher, mentor, friend of mine, and he is tackling quite a project for the next four or five sessions that we have him on the show. We're talking about in the beginning, and we're opening up our Bibles to the very first chapter of Genesis. So, uh, Jeff, we're back, and boy, oh boy, that was a great start to the sh- to the show. Yeah, so we looked at kind of the three, the first three debates. Um, did the universe have a beginning? If so, what was before that beginning, and how old? Or how long ago was that the beginning? The other three kind of debates relate to life. So how did life begin? When did life begin? And how do how do we explain the diversity and complexity of life that we see today? Mm-hmm. So once again, science has an idea on life as well. So how did life begin? Interestingly, even with all of the Darwinian evolutionary you know, theories and and believers that are in the scientific community, they still do not have an answer to this simple question. Well, where did the first life come from? So Darwinian evolution explains how, supposedly, how life got more and more complex over time. But even with all of that, they still don't have an answer. Well, where did the first life come? start in the first place. There's actually a scientific law called the law of biogenesis. And it says this, life only comes from life. So that law, that scientific law says you need life to beget life, to to form other life. Well, that's the biblical narrative. God, who is life, made life on the earth. So once again, Christianity has an answer to this, where science does not have an answer. Mm -hmm. When did life begin? Science says that through evolutionary processes, this first life began about three and a half billion years ago. Um, Christianity generally, some, now I will say some in Christianity agree with that view, saying that, okay, life began about three and a half billion years ago. Others say, no, the, the Garden of Eden where God put all life in six literal days was around 6,000 years ago. Some say 10,000 years ago. So just say six to 10,000 years ago. And that's where all life began. Special creation by God in a garden on this earth, and that's where all life began. And then how do we got the comp- how do we get to the complexity of that life that we see today? Well, of course, science says Darwinian evolution can explain everything we know about biological systems today. Um, because everything's been evolving since life first began. 
Uh, Christianity, for the most part, although, once again, many do have or see um, uh, there's a, the, a, the theological phrase is theistic evolution, that evolutionary processes are basically true. They've just been directed or guided by God. Uh, other Christians say, no, 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 no. We cannot have theistic evolution, even uh, evolution. We cannot have even God-directed theistic evolution. That's unbiblical. God needed to create everything in a garden some 6,000 years ago. So there's the debate, right? Easy stuff, for, and, and we're going to try to answer all those. We're also going to look at a couple other issues that come right along with Genesis, and that is that we have these six days. So there's a debate about whether or not these six days are, are literal or not. Uh, I've already mentioned Adam. We're going to talk about whether or not Adam was a literal uh, person along with Eve in a literal garden. Uh, just a, I, I, I'll, I'll say this up front. If there is not a literal garden with a literal tree of of the knowledge of good and evil and a literal command not to eat from that tree by God and a literal breaking of that command and therefore a literal fall of man, theologically, there would be no need for a literal second Adam who is Jesus Christ, to come to redeem mankind from the acts of the first Adam in the garden. And so where this is going, obviously, I believe Adam, the Bible demands that Adam be a literal person in a literal garden with a literal tree and a literal fall, because I see in the New Testament the need that God explains for a second Adam, Jesus Christ, to come to redeem mankind from the sins of the first Adam. And then if we have time, we will also get to hopefully the worldwide flood that is described in chapter six. So um, I get this. I wanted to read something else. This is from actually from the Blue Letter Bible. And they say this about this long article about all the different views of creation. It says, we should remind ourselves that whichever view we decide to support, it must be one that is presented by the scriptures themselves and not one that we force upon it. And whichever we choose, we must never fail to uphold the historicity and inerrancy of God's word, for it is that upon which the knowledge of our faith is built. And I say, amen. Hmm. Um, They go on to say we should also not call each other names and so on. Now Hmm. I'm going to mention uh, one of my favorite ministries is called Answers in Genesis. Um, A guy by the name of Ken Ham leads this. He's actually spoken at our church um, uh, before, and I use a lot of their materials. Now, I'm going to disagree with Ken Ham on the age of the universe, but almost everything else that they do, I am in lockstep agreement with. So as we're going to see, when life began, how it began, uh, the, the, the arguments against Darwinian evolution, all of their flood science, and so on and so forth, I I'm, I'm agree with 95, 98% of everything they, they say. And I love the ministry, and I use them a lot. They have a lot of great information. I just happen to disagree, as we'll see over the weeks, on the age of the universe. All right. Do you see where I'm going? The mm-hmm. age, 
Adam was created in a garden about 6,000 years ago. I believe that. Ken Ham teaches that, answers, and Genesis teaches that. How old the rocks are underneath Adam's feet is a different question. Those are two different questions. How old is the earth? How old is Adam? Mm -hmm. And I'm going to try to answer those questions differently. Mm -hmm. Okay? Yep. Using two different. You got that? I do. Crystal right. clear. Now, I also like to do this at the beginning of this class in the beginnings. And we'll finish out the first half hour with this concept that we can agree that it is God that created everything. So Genesis 1 says God created the heavens and the earth. Psalm 33 says it is of the Lord who made the heavens, the starry host by the breath of his mouth. Psalm 102 says in the beginning, you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. Um, by the way, Psalm 102, did you hear what the earth is sitting on? It says, you laid the foundations of the earth. Now, that was actually taken literally for hundreds of years. Okay, hang on to that thought. It, is the earth on a foundation or not? How do we approach Scripture? Is the earth on a foundation? We'll look at that in a second. Isaiah 44 says, I am the Lord who has made all things, who stretched out the heavens. Jeremiah 51, he made the earth and by the power he founded it by the world, the world by his wisdom, and he stretched out the heavens. Now, I got to ask you, what does stretching out the heavens sound like to you? Does that maybe kind of sound like this idea of a big bang that the universe has been stretching out from a single point over a long period of time? God says that he has stretched out the heavens. Hmm. Wow. Acts said he made the world and everything in it. Hebrews 11 says the universe was formed at God's command. In Revelation 4, it says, by you, you created all things. So let's clearly state at the very beginning of all this, there is nothing that has been made that did not come from God. Now, actually, in the New Testament, we get a little further revelation that this creation was actually through Jesus Christ. So John 1 says that through him, Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made. John 1.10 says that he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, Jesus, the world did not recognize him. And, it's, and Hebrews 1 says that it's through Jesus that he, God, made the universe. He is before all things. He created all things. He holds all things together. Colossians says Jesus is the creator God. So literally, when we read Genesis 1-1 with our New Testament understanding, we, knowing John 1, who said in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, mm -hmm. it's that Jesus who is God that we see in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, wow. God, through that's, Jesus, that's created our, the heavens and the earth. And that's our series, In the Beginning. Jeffrey Dorn's our teacher. We're going to be uh, right back in just a minute. Let's get it started. 
We're starting today a five-part series on In the Beginning with my friend Jeff Verdorn. He's a Bible teacher and friend and mentor of mine, so I'm always glad to have Jeff on the program. Nice comment from a listener. Darwin's book, The Origin of Species, does not address the origin of the first life. Huh. Not surprised with that. Yeah, no, it doesn't, and science still doesn't have the answer. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Uh, it's there was actually a, a a movie called with Ben Stein. I don't know if you ever saw it called Expelled, and it's the basically this uh, idea. They looked at some people who are advancing the idea of intelligent design, um, not even biblical creation per se, but just intelligent design. And uh, Ben Stein in the movie interviews a couple of folks and asks that question: Well, where did the first life come from? And you know, the the smartest scientists that he could find to participate in his movie really don't have an answer to that question. Mm. So they really don't know. They don't have an answer to how did we go from nothing to everything? And they don't under, they don't have an answer from how did we go from non-life to life? Those are two uh, moments that only, only God can explain. Yeah. And fortunately we as believers know. We do. Yeah. We have the answer. Yes, we do. And, and it's, we're going to see that with the with this whole Big Bang. The Big Bang, when it first came out, proved the Bible right. We have the answers. We always, we've always had the answers if we are willing to look and understand Scripture properly, by the mm-hmm. way. So the next passage I wanted to go to was Psalm 19. This is such a, a wonderful passage about the heavens and that they declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the world, all the earth, their words to the end of the world. Creation speaks God's glory. If you simply open your eyes and take a look, Creation will declare the glory of God. Romans 1 says it this way, that since what may be known about God is plain to them, to the world, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. Theologians call creation general revelation of God, but God actually calls it much more. It's it's pouring forth speech. Man, when they see creation, should know that there is a creator. And if you think about this, if, if I was to show you a painting, you would inherently know that someone painted that painting, now wouldn't you? Mm-hmm. If you see a sculpture, you know there was a sculptor who, who made that, who chiseled that. And if you see a building, you know there was an architect and a building who built that. We inherently know this. And when we see even the simple thing as a robin building her nest, we should know as the scriptures declare that it declares God's glory uh, and 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 pours forth speech that there is a creator. So when we open our eyes and see creation, mankind should know that there is a creator God. 
Psalm 14 says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They just are ignoring it. They, they don't have the eyes to see. They don't want the ears to hear. And they don't want to understand that creation does declare the glory of God. So that's what we uh, need to do as Christians is we come along and, and with specific revelation, which is God's word, we proclaim more detail behind the general revelation of, of God's uh, uh, glory mm-hmm. that he has made in all of creation. Amen. All right. So one of the, th- so this, we talked about this earlier about how do we approach the, the words, the languages of the language of the book of Genesis. And I, I, th- I think this is critical because um, if you go back centuries and, and we read things like uh, that I read earlier that he laid the foundation of the earth, the world is established and it shall never be moved. The earth is on its foundation. The pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. Well, has God set the world on pillars. And if you look at history, and you got to go back a long ways, this is precisely how man thought of the earth from the very earliest of days. They had the picture of an earth sitting on pillars, by the way, a flat earth. The earth is the floor to the tent, Isaiah 40. The sky is covering the earth like a tent, Isaiah 40, 22. God is sitting in above it all, the circle of the earth, the pillars of the earth, the foundation of the earth. And, and this was the image from a, quote, literal interpretation, end quote, of Scripture of what most thought the model of the earth was. The earth was absolutely the center of the universe, and everything revolved around the earth. So even Aristotle, which uh, he lived in the mid-3rd century BC, thought the earth was fixed and at the center of the universe, because if it was moving, we'd all fall off, right? And if it was revolving, you would drop a rock, and it wouldn't drop straight down. At least that's what he thought. Mm -hmm. This was called a geocentric model, that the earth is the center of the universe. Now, it took uh, 50, almost 2,000 years for Copernicus to come along and say, by observation, he saw, no, the earth is not the center. We are actually revolving around the sun. And Protestants and Catholics alike and scientists all over the world rejected this idea because they took a literal approach to Bible and said, no, the Bible is on pillars. In fact, Martin Luther famously quoted, There is this talk of this new astrologer who wants to prove that the earth moves and goes around instead of the sun instead of the sky and the sun and the moon uh, going around the earth. The fool wants to turn the whole art of astronomy upside down. However, as the Holy Scripture tells us, so did Joshua bid the sun to stand still and not the earth. So even Martin Luther in the 15th century thought that the earth was the center, it was fixed, and everything revolved around it. Well, we know some how we got from there. Galileo came along, he had a telescope, he, by observation, also declared that, no, the earth actually goes around the sun. But this debate, Bill, raged for over 100 years or more, 200 years, the basically the fixed earthers and the moving earthers those were the theological debates. Some believed that the earth was fixed. Some believed the earth was moving. And that debate, debate raged on 
uh, for a couple hundred years. Uh, and even after Kepler came along and came up with all of his orbital dynamics and said, really, the foundation that the Earth is on is an orbit around the sun. That's the foundation that the Earth is on. And uh, there's a, a guy by the name of John Lennox who wrote an entire book on this. It's called Seven Days That Divide the World. And he said this, once it became evident and accepted that the earth did not move and that the scriptures should be interpreted consistently with the fact without compromising their integrity or authority, thereafter to maintain that scripture insisted that the earth was fixed in the sky would leave one open to justifiable ridicule and would bring scripture into disrepute. John Lennox. So we can use observation to help us understand the scriptures. So that was a long way of coming to that conclusion, that we can use observation to understand the scriptures. Now, scripture is always going to drive it. But just as the fixed earthers versus the moving earthers found out that, no, the earth was not on a fixed foundation, it was actually moving, so too I see the debate today of young earth versus old earth. Mm -hmm. One group requiring an absolute kind of uh, literal interpretation and another group saying, well, wait a minute here. The universe appears old. Can we interpret Scripture consistently, historically, with that view? And I believe the answer is absolutely we can. And that's what I want to spend the next few weeks doing. So I think there's two errors. When we start looking and, seeing, and, and using science and observation and so on, one is letting science drive our interpretation— and if we did that, then we would agree with science in, in terms of their understanding of evolution. And, and, and I think the Bible precludes the idea of evolutionary origins of life. But the second error, I think, is ignoring science and ignoring observation. And if we did that, obviously, we'd still believe that the earth was the center of the universe. So we don't want to make either one of those mistakes. Mm-hmm. So let's look up into the sky for a second. And if you had one of these telescopes, uh, like Galileo, you would look up into the sky and you would see this mass of stars that we now know as the Andromeda Galaxy. It is the closest galaxy to our own, and it also happens to be a spiral galaxy, and it is beautiful, and it is huge. I think it's 100,000 light years across or something. I mean, it's enormous. And it's about the same size as ours. Now, the light coming from that galaxy took two and a half million years to get to our telescope. So the simple observation would say, well, if that light left the Andromeda galaxy two and a half million years ago, then that means this universe, that galaxy, has to be at least two and a half million years old. And in fact, we now, with the Hubble telescope, which is up in orbit above the Earth, above all the lights and all the smog and all the, all the clouds, and we can do what's called deep 
field views, we now know of a hundred billion galaxies or more, some of which are billions of light years away, that when we see the light of these galaxies, we know that they're billions of years away. So by simple observation, it appears that the universe is at least billions of years old. And now the question is, does the biblical text prohibit that or not? And I think we should address that after the break. Jeff Redorn okay. is my guest. We're continuing our study on In the Beginning. It's a series that will probably last five times with Jeff. So we'll be right back. Jeff Dorn. we're talking about In the Beginning, a series we've just started today. We'll probably will last another four times with my friend Jeff Verdorn, who's a Bible teacher and friend and mentor of mine. So we're in the beginning. All right, Jeff, you set up quite, uh, quite a discussion point right before the break. <laughs> yeah, so let's kind of put a bow on, on this in the terms of kind of historically, let's bring it up to kind of present day historically on, on this kind of debate. Okay. So I mentioned earlier that science um, believed for a long time in what was called the steady state, that the universe always existed. And as I mentioned, if it always existed, there didn't need to be a God to create it. It was eternal. So you have uh, people like Carl Sagan, who uh, famously would start his, his show that he had on TV. The cosmos is all that is or ever was or will ever will be. Well, contrast that to the Bible where God says, I am the Alpha and the Omega who was and is and is to come. He is the only one who is eternal. So a guy by the name of Edwin Hubble came along and he looked into his telescope and saw all these other galaxies. But more important, he saw that they were all expanding out from each other, which meant that they must have come from a single point. So if your balloon is expanding and expanding and expanding, you, if you, if you go, go backwards, you know that that came from a singular point. That was, of course, coined uh, actually as a pejorative by scientists as the Big Bang because nobody believed that uh, in this theory at first in science. But Albert Einstein actually visited Edward Hubble and uh, – in a in a famous kind of video clip, he uh, uh, agreed with Hubble's uh, theory that the universe had a beginning and that it all began at a single point, uh, basically the Big Bang. Um, by the way, many scientists, including Stephen Hawking, has had came along later and confirmed the same thing, that the universe had a finite beginning that corresponds to the origin of space, time, and matter, Stephen Hawking said. And, and this was huge, by the way. This was absolutely huge because science confirmed what was written 
in the Bible Mm. from the very first sentence that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That was the Big Bang. It confirmed it. So the op- And it took decades for the scientific community to basically coalesce around this idea of the Big Bang, decades and decades. But now we wake up, now a few decades after that, and Christianity has basically, in, um, I shouldn't say all of Christianity, many in Christianity have rejected the idea of this Big Bang, basically saying it's an atheist idea and it's not biblical and so on. And at the same time, science has begun looking for alternatives to the Big Bang, the beginning of the universe, because as I mentioned earlier, if there is a beginning, you need a beginning-er. Is that a, is that a word? <laughs> I think we just made it one. Uh, I, it should be a word. If it's not, the, a, it needs a creator, obviously. It needs a beginning-er. It needs somebody to begin or to start the universe. So the Big Bang was 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 a was scientific proof that the universe had a beginning, just as the Bible said. Mm-hmm. Isn't that cool? That's very cool. So science has been attempting ever since because they understand the problem that they have. If there is a beginning, you need a creator. And so they've gone through multiple theories and ideas. They've they tried to modify the steady state theory. They had the Big Bang, Big Crunch theory that was uh, popular for a while, but they concluded there wasn't enough mass in the universe to make that happen. And today, have you heard of the phrase the multiverse? I have, but I can't remember what I learned about it when I heard that phrase. Okay, so this is the latest idea of science to try to take away a creator because they can't have a beginning, they have developed this theoretical idea uh, generally under the banner called string theory. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna use the phrase multiverse. And that is the idea, how many universes are there? There's one universe, right? That's what una means, one. And that everything that exists, space, time, and matter exists in that one universe. Mm-hmm. Well, science is now developing the idea that, no, there's actually multiple universes, the multiverse, and that these multiverses keep popping up or collide. Think of bubbles floating around, and each bubble is a universe, and maybe two bubbles collide into each other. They collapse, and then you have another Big Bang, and there's an explosion, and you have another universe that's created. Uh, That's not the only way that universes can be created in string theory, but that's that's kind of the idea. And so what, have, what are they trying to do? They're trying to make creation eternal again. They're trying to show that, okay, we, we understand that the Big Bang happened, but to explain what came before the Big Bang, they have developed this theoretical idea of the multiverse and saying, see, the universe has always existed once again, only this time it's the multiverse has always existed. And if it's always existed, then they don't need God. Hmm. When I look at it, have you ever, are you a Star Trek fan? I was the original series. Not the new series? No. Next generation? No, I didn't follow that. 
Oh, see, the, the the next generation series is so much better than the original series. It's I, I know I'm gonna I'm gonna ruffle some feathers. No, here and because, I'm sure you know, a lot less cheesy too. <laughs> it, I you know yes, it was. I, I loved the show, the next generation. Captain John Luke Picard. Okay, right was the captain of the Enterprise in this series. But there was this thing they had on board called the Replicator, and John Luke would walk up to the Replicator and he would say Earl Grey hot, and a cup, a glass cup would form and tea inside the cup would form and it'd be hot and he'd take it out of the replicator and he'd drink it. Nice. Well, what just happened there? What happened there is that on the enterprise, you could focus energy and create matter. So this is, this is actually Einstein's theory. E equals MC squared. Energy and matter are interchangeable. So we can divide the atom and create a nuclear explosion. We can create energy from matter, right? Or convert matter into energy. But reverse is also true, theoretically, that you can take energy and make matter if you have enough energy. Well, of course, you know, Scotty had those dilithium crystals, so they had, you know, all the energy they wanted, right? Well... Is God, if he's omnipotent, all-powerful, he is all energy. Now, now don't, don't misunderstand me here. God is a personal God. He's not some kind of energy force in some way. He's a personal God, but he has all energy. So God can speak, and from that, from his energy, he can create matter, just like John Luke Picard did in his replicator. Mm -hmm. And that is precisely what I think the biblical picture is, that God spoke for he commanded and they were created. Psalm 148 verse 5 says, he spoke, he commanded, and everything that was made was made. In the beginning, God created the heavens, and the earth. And I believe in that first sentence in the Bible, God created all space, time, and matter that would ever exist. Everything that would ever exist, he made in that moment where he spoke and the universe came into existence. And now over however many years, I don't care, science says 14 billion years, fine, all of that matter and energy and space stretches out across the universe and forms galaxies and solar systems and stars and planets and so on, including this little hunk of rock third from our sun. Because what's the next verse? Now the earth, stop. Now the earth in Genesis 1-2, we already have an earth. We have an earth. That means we have space. We have time. We have matter. The earth is already there. Before God says, let there be anything, there is an earth. Hmm. And that earth exists. Now, what state was that earth? Well, keep reading. Verse 2. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So God tells us the state of this hunk of rock, 
it was formless. It was empty. There was no life. It was dark. Darkness was over the surface. And there was nothing there. But God picked this rock, and he's going to do something very special with this earth that we already see there in verse 2. For in the next few verses, in six literal days, he's going to form a garden. And at the end of those six days, he's going to put the pinnacle of his creation, mankind, in whom he is going to dwell within and have a relationship with. Nothing else in all of his creation is going to be able to do that except for man. But mankind is going to be made in the image of God, and he's going to have a relationship with them. In fact, he's going to indwell them. But then something's going to go terribly wrong. Well, what a start to a fascinating series, Jeff. Thank you so much for getting us started. I cannot wait for part two. You bet, Bill. Thank Thank you. you. Yep. Jeff Redorn's been my guest as we are starting a five-part series on In the Beginning. I hope you enjoyed it. If you missed any of this, you do need to go back and hear it from the beginning. You can do that at MyFaithRadio.com. Sure have loved being with you today. I'm looking forward to tomorrow. Have a great night, everyone, and I'll see you soon. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.